Welcome to episode one of Piety in Paideia. I am your host, John Jordan, the Logical School Principal at Corum Deo Academy's Dallas campus. In this episode, we'll be exploring the title of the podcast, What is Piety? What is Paideia? And what do they have to do with one another? Later on, I will also be joined by some of our own Logic School students as we introduce a segment that will air from time to time called An Intelligent Conversation About a Random Sentence from a Random Page in a Random Book. More about that in just a little bit. I want to thank our sponsor, Communion Neighborhood Cooperative in Richardson, Texas. Tim and Amy's hope is that Communion will serve you with excellence, inspire you to meet new people, and give you a local place to gather with friends and family. They have done this for us at Corum Deo by hosting our fall lecture series, and we're excited to continue to partner with them in the future. Stop by for a bite to eat, an after-work drink, or ask about joining their co-working space to experience a collaborative work environment. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode of Piety and Paideia. The main goal for this episode of Piety and Paideia is really just to answer three questions. First, what is piety? Second, what is paideia? And because of those two, third, what do piety and paideia have to do with one another? So we'll start at the beginning. What is piety? Now, the first thing you might notice is that this isn't really a word that you and I use a lot today. It has, in a sense, fallen out of fashion. There was quite a bit of use of this word in the past few centuries, and really piety became associated with certain movements within Christianity that focused a lot on personal holiness. The word piety really does just mean holiness, or maybe you could say it means the pursuit of personal holiness. Piety at its very best is simply our pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. So, especially in our context, when we talk about piety, we're really talking about Christian formation. We're talking about things that we can do in our own lives and in the lives of others to be formed, to be shaped, to be molded more and more into the likeness of Jesus himself. So, the overall goal of the Christian life is becoming more like Jesus. We don't always think about it in those terms. There's a variety of reasons for that. Maybe a future episode could address some of those. But our task is to be more like Jesus a year from now than we are now. And Christian formation, piety, this is simply the process of us working towards that end. So when we talk about piety on this show, we're really just referring to the process of becoming more like Jesus. That leads us really to our second question then, what is paideia? Now to answer this question, we have to go back in time quite a bit to the world of ancient Greece. For the ancient Greeks, education was not about passing information from one mind into another mind. They were interested in forming the whole person. So to an ancient Greek educator, paideia was the transferring of an entire way of life from a teacher to a disciple. Part of this transfer of a way of life, part of paideia, is the instilling of a love for learning, a lifelong love of continual growth and continual development. 
So we use the word paideia here really to describe not just this ancient Greek educational system, but a pretty particular rediscovery of that ancient form of education. When the early Christians realized that education needed to be part of how they passed the faith down from one generation to the next, they looked back to this Greek form of paideia and saw in it a perfect model for doing just that. So you can think of the early Christian church taking this Greek form of paideia and really baptizing it placing it under the lordship of Christ, and then using it as a method of teaching the next generation. Not just how to think, not just what to do, but of teaching them the entire way of belonging to Christ's church. Education for the ancient Christian church involved more than just transmitting knowledge from one person's mind to another. It involved transferring an entire Christian way of life from one generation to the next. Education was more than just what could be taught in a classroom, though it's important to note it did include what was taught in the classroom. Education was liturgical. Part of learning this new way of life was learning how to worship with our whole being, body, mind, and soul. Education took the great subjects, Christian education, took the great subjects of mathematics and science and history and literature and taught them well, but taught them under the banner of Christ. So mathematics, for example, was not just taught in order to manipulate numbers towards some end. Mathematics was taught as a glimpse into the invisible world created by God himself. So that a student of mathematics in an ancient Christian learning environment was actually drawn to worship through the study of visible and invisible numbers. So when we talk about paideia, this is what we mean. A transfer of an entire way of life from a teacher to a student. And in our context, we're really talking about that as a Christian transfer of the Christian way of life from one generation to the next. So if piety is our pursuit of holiness, if piety is about Christian formation, and paideia is about recovering an ancient form of education that passed on an entire way of life from one generation to the next, that leads us to our final question. What do piety and paideia have to do with one another? In many ways, the modern classical Christian education movement has existed to answer that very question. Classical Christian education is an approach to education that seeks to rediscover ancient tools of learning, but not just for learning's sake. We're rediscovering ancient tools and approaches to learning in order to form Christians, ourselves and our students, more and more into the image of Christ. So what you'll expect to find on each of our episodes is really the presentation of one classical approach to learning, one ancient tool of learning that classical education is attempting to recover in our own context, and a discussion of that method. How can it be used in a classroom setting? How can it be used at home? How can it be used in a work environment or in a church environment? But we're not just talking about paideia on this podcast. So for each episode, you'll also hear what does this method 
of education have to offer for our process of becoming more like Christ. At the end of every episode, we hope that you leave with a few tangible ideas that you can implement at home, whether you're one of our families at Corum Deo Academy or not, whether you're involved in education or not. We have found in our own lives that many of these classical ancient tools of learning can be applied to more than just the educational sphere, and that's what we hope to offer through this podcast. In our next episode, we'll begin this process by exploring the ancient tool of narration, the process of reading a text aloud in front of a group and then asking members of the group to narrate portions of it back. We'll explore it as a learning method in and of itself, and then we'll also explore ways that it can be used to form us more into the image of Jesus. This week, I was joined by five of our logic school students at the Corum Deo Academy Dallas campus. I want to thank Kate, Maggie, Christopher, Sam, and Joshua for participating in a segment that I hope will become a regular feature of this podcast. I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Sam's son, your host. Welcome back to the podcast. This is John Jordan, your host. Joining me are several of the Logic School students at the Dallas campus. We're about to play a new segment called An Intellectual Conversation About a Random Sentence from a Random Page in a Random Book. In this segment, Christopher is going to grab a random book from the bookshelf, open to a random page, and read us a random sentence, and we will do our very best as students and as an adult to have a somewhat intelligent conversation about that sentence. Christopher, grab a book. Good luck. Now, while Christopher is searching, I will say he will read us a sentence, we'll ponder it for a moment, and then I'll read us the title and give us a little bit of a description of the book in a way that might help us have an intellectual conversation about it. So, Christopher is opening the book. He is choosing a random sentence, and when he's ready, he will read it out loud to us. Manipulation uses morale, suspicious strategies to influence persons by concealing the motives and the manipulator. All right, so I am going to read that same sentence again. If you'll point it to me. Okay. Manipulation uses morally suspicious strategies to influence persons by concealing the motives and the ends of the manipulator. So this is from a book called The Dictionary of Scripture and Ethics, and it is a dictionary. This is from a section on manipulation itself. Just for interest, the section before is called Mammon. (laughs) And the section afterwards is Mark, as in the Gospel of Mark. So, our task is to have an intellectual conversation about that sentence from that page from this book. Begin. Um, Manipulation is not good. Okay. I may or may not do this on a daily basis. So it's clear to us just from it's clear to us just from one sentence that what we're reading about is is a bad thing. It's it's a vice. We might find out. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you knew that though. Because I do it all the time. Um, Suspicious strategies. Okay, so morally suspicious. When we say suspicious, is that usually a good thing? No. Sometimes it it means you're kind of. So suspicious. Shady. Yes. You're shady. Shady. You just described the word suspicious of someone. 
sketchy. So you could be suspicious of someone, but maybe the situation itself could still be. Yeah. So manipulation uses morally suspicious strategies to influence persons. Is it bad to influence people? No. I mean, well, no, it not necessarily. Because it, it could be, be a good influence, but it could be a bad influence. Okay. So we've agreed on a couple of things. One is we've said that manipulation is painted as a bad thing. It uses morally suspicious strategies to influence people. But we just said that influencing people by itself isn't bad. So what's bad about manipulation? You're making... Well, never mind. I'm going to reread the sentence, and then you tell me what makes manipulation bad. I forgot the sentence. Manipulation uses morally suspicious strategies to influence persons by concealing the motives and ends of the manipulator. What makes this sort of influence bad? What's bad about it? Should I read the sentence again? Yes. yes. Great, great. Manipulation uses morally suspicious strategies to influence persons by concealing the motives and ends of the manipulator. How do you influence if you're manipulating? By doing what? By concealing the motives of the manipulator, which is the person doing the manipulation. What does that mean, though? You all said, oh, which is great. What does it mean to conceal the motives? Okay, so hiding. What are the motives? Whatever you're usually to manipulate. Whatever motivates you. Well, okay, so whatever motivates you. So the motive is the reason why you're doing something. So manipulation is influencing, which is not bad. It turns into bad when you're influencing in a way where you're not really revealing your motivations for that. Can you give me an example of what manipulation would look like? Topher, that was pretty quick. Okay, me telling my sister that um, taking a cookie for your brother is good. Okay. So you're influencing her, right? You're telling her that taking a cookie is good, what makes it manipulation is you're not revealing your motive. What's your motive? To get a cookie. To get a cookie. You're not saying, sister, I want to get a cookie, so I want you to take a cookie for me. (laughs) You're just trying to, you're pretending as though you're giving her this great moral teaching that, hey, you know, it's okay to steal a brother for your cookie. A brother brother for your cookie. That's a mystery. Wait, what if we... It's okay to steal a cookie for your brother. It would not be okay to steal a brother brother for a cookie. cookie. Yeah. (laughs) Sam, you had a you had an intelligent thought, I believe. Uh, well, it it could be considered intelligent (laughs) (laughs) in the eyes of a child. Yes. Yeah. What if we tell them that they are stealing a cookie? We've done this before, and they actually listen to it. So that is excellent thought, right? It's no longer manipulation. Could very much still be wrong. Remember, this is just about manipulation. If you say, sister, steal a cookie for me, right? Then that's still morally wrong. But for it to be considered manipulation, you have to conceal your motives. That's what makes it manipulation. I think that was a fairly intellectual conversation about a random sentence from a random page from a random book. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. An intellectual conversation about a random sentence from a random page in a random book. 
thank you for listening. I hope you found something helpful in this episode. If you'd like to be notified of new episodes as they're made available, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. We also occasionally upload bonus audio from various events we host throughout the year. If you would like to know more about Corum Deo Academy, you can visit us online at corumdeoacademy.org. That's C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O academy.org.